Alrighty, so what uh, I thought we would do tonight is to start uh, uh, an exciting uh, uh, section having to do with the first chapter of the Messiah Susharim. Messiah Susharim is one of the classic uh, Musras Farm, uh, written by the Ramchal, Ramosha Chaim Lutzato. Um, he was one of the uh, great Kabbalists uh, of his time, uh, and even to this day. And uh, the Sefer Messiah Susharim is one of the classics in terms of in terms of Musar uh, Svarim, which are out there. And he lays down a number of very essential uh, principles in terms of Avodah Hashem, in terms of service of Hashem. Uh, and it's said that, I don't remember how many chapters, but the Gra, the Vilna Gon, said about the, the Messiah Susharim that in the first, I don't know, seven or eight chapters or something, there's not one extra word. So every word is weighed and measured and is very precise in his terminology and everything is something which is very specific. And, uh, you know, if we're doing classic Musr and Hashkafa things, so we would really be remiss if we did not uh, do this particular piece. So I thought that, uh, you know, we're not going to go through the whole, the entire Sefer. That would be a very uh, adventurous uh, challenge to go ahead and to do the entire thing. That would take us uh, months, if not uh, years. But certainly to do this first chapter, which the name of it is, as you will see, is Bebeir Klau Kovas Adam Be'olamo. It has to do with establishing uh, a person's obligation in this world. So that's what we're going to go ahead and try and figure out what exactly that is. And as I was looking for a good text to, uh, to copy for us to be able to, uh, to read together, so it turns out, much to, uh, to my surprise, that there are tens and tens of commentaries on the Messiah Susharim, on the Sefer itself. Some are more extensive, some are less extensive, you know, uh, more detailed, less uh, detailed. But the one which we're going to start off with today has a beautiful introduction uh, to let us know really where we are coming from, what our starting point is. So let me go ahead and pull that up for you. Oh, no, no, it's not recording. Um, so, Hopefully this now appears on your screen. You now have the text there. Okay. So here he says, so here you see the name of the chapter is So the explanation of knowing your obligation in this world. So that's what the chapter talks about, uh, pinpointing and figuring out what your obligation is in this world. So here, the author here, I, I didn't even look up who the name of the author is. Um, Eliyahu Roth is his name. So it says over here, he says, mm-hmm. So the Sefer Messias Susharim encompasses all matters of Musr, of rebuke, we would translate as we'll just say Musr, and Yiras Hashem, and fear of Hashem. And Ba'avod Hashem And it was uh, composed, it was written in order to provide hadracha, in order to provide guidance for a person in their avodas Hashem that's supposed to cover every last detail. So it's supposed to be a very thorough work. Vim came, and that being the case, so So he says, why did the why did the Ramchal begin this Sefer, which is going to describe to us in detail, in general principles, but in detail, what our obligations are, why did he begin the book 
with an explanation. So what he's going to explain is a person's obligation in his world. That's a literal translation of it. A person's obligation in his world. Now, how should he have began? What the, seemingly, if the Ramchal is trying to be thorough over here, what he should have done is, he should have opened his Sefer with a chapter, Before talking about what my obligation is, what he should have talked about is, he should have established the principle that everybody has an obligation in this world. So the first step is to recognize I am obligated to do something in this world, and now that I accept the premise that I'm obligated to do something in this world, now the next step is, step number two, is to then say, okay, how do I figure out what my purpose is? But the first thing I need to do is I need to establish that I have a person. Because he says, because uh, uh, to the sadness of our heart, the heaviness of our heart, many people think, erroneously, but many people think, that their birth is just something which happened in the course of world history, and it's just part of uh, you know uh, what exists in the world. And many people think about themselves, I was born, eventually after 120 I'll die, and my life is just you know from birth until death, and whatever happens in between is just it occupies time. But people don't think that their birth came, that their existence came with a specific purpose and something that they're supposed to accomplish and achieve. Usvurim heim od, and people further erroneously think shein shuma that there's no importance to their life. The chas v'shalom, the kavuchomer, sorry. And some people think, God forbid, that they are under no obligation to do anything whatsoever. I just exist. I, have, I, I may have mitzvahs that I'm supposed to do or whatever it is, so I have to conform with the laws the same way that I have to, uh, you know, renew my uh, my driver's license every couple of years, and I have my the my uh, my car uh, the the sticker, and there's all sorts of things which I have to do, but they don't give me m- meaning or purpose to life. Making sure to stop at every stop sign doesn't give meaning to your life; it's just something you're expected to do. So many people think that that's true of their life in general. That I'm just I'm just here. There's nothing for me really to do. There's nothing for me to accomplish, and that's how they uh, live their day to day, month to month lives. And then another question we should ask as we are thinking about the uh, the sefer and what the Ramchal is writing. Why did the Ramchal decide that he's going to name his sefer the path of the just or the past? Path of the upright. If you go through the book, if you go through the entirety of the book, you'll see that it's a guide for a person to reach the highest levels of Avodah Hashem. The highest levels is reaching the level of Chasidus, not to be a Chasid, not yay or nay, but not to be a Chasid, but to be a Chasid in the sense that one is going beyond what the minimum expectation of them is. Of them is. So being that that's one of the final chapters, and really, what we if you asked us, if it went to committee, and you asked us, what would we have named the Sefer? We would say, it is the path of the pious. Because that's the final destination. The final chapter has to do with Hasidus.
or just call, if you want to be more general, call the path to service of Hashem. But what's this idea of Yesharim? What, what is the term Yesharim? What, is the, what did the Ramchal intend to convey by choosing that as his title? So he says, Vanira, what would seem is, that these two questions uh, answer one another. They complement one another. What does that mean? When we take a step back and we think about emuna, emuna meaning belief in Hashem, so he says the truth of the matter is many people try and make it complex. Many people try and philosophize and uh, you know, theorize about all, all sorts of things related to emuna. But the truth is, it's something which is simple. He says it's Inyan Pashat, it's a simple matter. And it's something which is evident to anybody who is a straightforward type of thinker. Anybody who's willing to be honest with themselves will see this to be true. And every person who has a little bit of Seichel, and even if that person is not Jewish, you don't even have to be Jewish to believe any thinking person who's going to be honest with themselves should reach the same conclusion as he's going to say about the existence of God. Why? What's the simple formula which indicates that this is true? So he says it, it doesn't even take up an entire line in the text over here to prove it. He says, Im yesh bria, aza yesh bori. Says they're very simple. If there is a creation, there has to be a creator. But right? very simple, right? The, the, the example which, uh, you know, many people give as far as that, if you were walking in the desert, right? You're walking through the Sahara Desert and you come up upon a, uh, a Mavado watch, right? So you come across this Mavado watch in the desert. So where did it come from? So you have two choices. Either somebody was wearing a Mavado watch and it fell off their wrist and it fell there, or a bunch of uh, cells, a bunch of grains of sand randomly fused together to create a functioning watch. Now, which is more likely? Is it more likely, is it more reasonable to assume that somebody was there and dropped their watch? Or is it more reasonable to assume that a bunch of of, uh, uh, sand fused together in this perfect form of a watch? So everybody would say, obviously somebody was there and that's where the watch came from. How else is it going to come? Because watches don't make themselves. So that idea, this is what the, the, the author is saying over here, is that the simple seichel tells us that if there's a universe, how did it come into existence on its own? It doesn't come into existence on its own. It only comes into existence when you go ahead and uh, assuming that there is a, uh, that there's a creator. And therefore, kishiyesh bore. Now, once we accept the premise that there is a creator, then the next step is, so that leads us to the next conclusion, which is, if God created a universe, he must have had a reason. There's a purpose, right? God wasn't just bored one day and decided that to keep busy and to keep uh, you know, himself uh, uh, um, uh, you know, busy in otherwise slow times, that he's going to go ahead and create a universe. There obviously has to have been a purpose why he did so. And he says, In these... Uh, Principles, these ideas are so obvious and so fundamental. That every person who ever existed is going to be held accountable for these things. If they did not believe in a creator, 
So after, uh, you know, when they're no longer here in this physical world, they're going to have to explain why it is that they rejected these, uh, these, these obvious principles, these obvious uh, truths about the existence of God. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us with the ability to think. And this doesn't take higher level thinking. You don't have to be Einstein to figure this out. You just have to be a simple person who says, if there exists a complex universe, there must be something who created, because how did all this complexity come into existence on its own? We would never assume that if we saw a watch, a functioning watch in the middle of the desert. Just what happened. The gayon zehu basis le'emuna. And this simple way of looking at things is the foundation, is the base of our emuna, is the base of our belief in God. And this obligates all of the nations of the world. Even though they rejected, they did not accept the Torah at Har Sinai, even though it was offered to them. Um, just for time's sake, because he's, yeah. And he says, I'm going to skip a line or two. He says, And he said that this idea is so uh, fundamental and so clear, the the belief in the existence of a creator, that he says, What does it mean when we talk about the mitzvah, the obligation to believe in God? It means, Leos lo meshuchad, the only thing which which leads people to not want to accept this this obvious uh, conclusion that there exists a creator is the fact that people understand if there's a creator, there are obligations, there are things which I'm expected to do and things which I'm not allowed to do. And all of that is going to be a function of the recognition of a creator. So some people would rather go ahead and deny the existence of a creator and that way they could do whatever they want. And that allows them to be able to engage in all sorts of bad behavior, because once I reject the very premise of the existence of God, so then there's no restrictions on me whatsoever. And our job as Bali Amuna, as those who are working on our Amuna, is to recognize that, that the challenges that we have to Amuna have to do with a struggle in the sense that if I believe in God, I can't do everything which I want. And I have to, uh, and I, I, I'm resistant to uh, to giving over everything to let the God dictate because I have my needs and wants, and therefore that's what gets in the way. And if a person puts aside their personal interests in pursuing what they want, so immediately they will be led down the path towards belief in Hashem. The way Rabbi Hanan he, he he presents this, he formulates this in, in a very beautiful manner. He says that we know that a bar or bas mitzvah, boy or girl, become obligated to mitzvahs at 12 or 13. So how developed is the brain of a 12 or 13-year-old? Not very. <laughs> you know, as much as they may think that they're uh, smarter than the entire world, we know that the truth is, is that 12 and 13-year-olds are not very are not very wise and not very smart. But yet, they have an obligation to believe in God. There's a chiyuv, there's an obligation to them to believe in God. Now, let's take for a moment, we go ahead and we compare the brain power between a typical bar mitzvah boy and Aristotle. So who had a bigger brain? So we would assume that Aristotle had a bigger brain. 
He was Aristotle after all, so he was a great thinker. Nobody questions his intellect and his ability to, to think and think very deeply about things. So if Aristotle did not arrive at the conclusion that there exists a God who created the entire universe, how can we expect a 13-year-old Pischer to go ahead and arrive at that conclusion? That seems completely unreasonable because there's no way he's going to be able to do that if even the great thinkers such as Aristotle wasn't able to reach that conclusion. So what, how is it realistic to expect a, a, a young bar mitzvah boy or a young bar mitzvah girl to be able to reach that conclusion? So Rechonon says the reason is, is because Aristotle didn't want to believe in God. He actually used his intellect to work around having to accept the premise of a God because he didn't want to be bound by those obligations. And our job is you don't have to have the brain of an Aristotle in order to arrive at the conclusion that there's a God. You just have to not allow yourself to be bribed by your wants, by your physical desires. And the passage which they quote is, because the Torah itself already tells us that shochad, meaning bribed, meaning having a bias towards things. So having a bias is blinding. I can't tell you that they necessarily have the same gematria, but they effectively do the same thing. That when a person is biased in a particular way, they're going to be blind to anything other than that bias. Upirish chazal, hamutzdakim. And chazal are very correct about that. So So it turns out that every person who exists, and he's got emphasized when we get to the next page, and we're not even talking about Jews over here necessarily. We're saying every person who exists in this world, the and certainly when it comes to Jews, where their souls stood in Harsinai, they actually experienced the, the presence of God. And our ancestors have passed on to us, generation after generation, the principles and the fundamentals of our belief in God. So anybody who doesn't do that, So anybody who does not recognize that there is some obligation that rests upon them in this world, that you are created for a purpose in order to do something. So there's only one conclusion to draw for to, uh, if you see somebody who does not recognize that, and that is So it must be that their draw towards physicality or their draw towards some sort of their uh, proverbial double bacon cheeseburger. So that is what made their thinking, made their seichel crooked, and what corrupted their logic. And if, uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody has had that experience where you're talking to somebody about a, a subject, and as logical as you're being, the person sounds like they're being really smart, but they are, I, I've said this to a few people, that you are the dumbest smart person I've ever spoken to. So their, their, their intellect is very powerful, is very strong, but their arguments clearly have no basis in reality, and they are just biased towards a particular opinion. And as a result of that, they're not willing to weigh things properly. They're not willing to consider things in terms of their true essence. They are just set on being correct, and that's it. Now he says, He says, this knowledge, right? The knowledge which you're talking about, about the recognition of a creator, 
in the fact that once we recognize that there is a creator that uh, obligates us to uh, consider what the creator expects of me, it creates expectations. So that is something which falls into the category of chachma. That's just straight up wisdom, straight up knowledge. And v'chachma b'goyim tamim. And he says that wisdom could even be found by non-Jews. They nena daim begeter Torah because it's not even part of Torah yet. Something which is straight up logic. The fact that two plus two equals four. You don't need Torah to tell me two plus two is four. That's just simply a fact of the universe that two plus two equals four. So when you talk about that simple mathematical equation, that's not something which you need the Torah to teach me. That's just a simple fact of the of the universe. And that is kichol adam. Anything that a person is able to figure out using simple logic, in simple seichel, you know, uh, some uh, some common sense and some seichel, who beget a chachma. So all of that gets categorized as chachma. That's considered to be wisdom, and that does not yet require Torah. So he says, So from this perspective, it turns out, so this Sefer that the Ramchal drafted, that he wrote, which is called Messiah Sesharim, is a Sefer of Torah. It's not a Sefer of wisdom, something that everybody could have figured out on their own. But this is a collection of Torah thoughts. So therefore, this is a, I think it's a beautiful idea. He says, So the Sefer begins where Torah begins, it's now trying to figure out what is my purpose in this world. And the, in other words, that everybody has a purpose. That's part of just simple logic, which you don't need Torah for. So the fact that there is a create, there's a universe indicates that there's a creator. And if there's a creator, that means that there's a purpose for that creation, that he wants, he wants something for us or from us which is really both, as we'll see as we get further. But once we accept that premise, that's the Chachma part of it. That's something which doesn't require Torah at all. What's going to require Torah is figuring out, discerning what is my purpose. How do I figure out what my purpose is? Putting my, hand, my finger on that. Because figuring out what my purpose is, what is my tafkid? What, what am I supposed to accomplish in this world? What does my potential allow me to achieve? That's not something which is known from seichel umihigayon or from logic. That can't be figured out from the, just uh, thinking about it. But this is something which we need to turn to chazal in order to enlighten us or in order to instruct us or guide us how to figure that out, how to answer that question, what is my purpose in this world? And this is part of the Messorah that we have in terms of being able to figure out how to discern what our purpose is and what exactly Hashem wants from us as individuals. And that traces itself back, Rebbe Talmud, Rebbe Talmud, Rebbe Talmud, Rebbe Talmud, all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu, who received these principles and these guidelines directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he says, this notion that there is such a thing as an obligation, knowing that there is an obligation, not answering the question of what is the obligation, but acknowledging that there is an obligation, that he says, that is not part of Torah, 
That is what we call Chachma. And the Sefer Messias Rishon isn't trying to, it's not a book of Emuna to try and prove to us the existence of God and that God is the creator and they had a purpose in creating the entire universe. That's not why he wrote the Sefer. He wrote the Sefer presuming that you've accepted all of that, that you already have enough Seicha and you have enough logic and enough understanding and that you're not biased, that you're willing to accept the premise that there's a universe, which must mean that there's a creator, and if there's a creator, it must be that he wants us to do something. It, that's the starting point. That's the springboard from where the Messiah Shisham says, okay, now I'm going to help you answer that question with Torah. And now we can understand, number one, why he, he already answered question number one. Why didn't the Ramchal begin with this idea of establishing the fact that everybody has an obligation in this world. And now he's he's taking it to step number two. He's beginning at step two, which is discerning and being able to figure out what is my obligation in this world. That's the Torah part of it. And he says that will now enlighten us in terms of why the Ramchal named the Sefer Messiah Sashar. He also Hayasharim, that those people who are Yashar, Shemocham lo his he says that their brain has not yet been made crooked and their svara, their logic, their thinking process is straight without having been corrupted. So So it's those people who can actually open up the safer. If you're in the uh, the the, uh, the bookstore and you're looking at various farim, so if you don't even recognize that there's a creator and you don't recognize the premise, you don't accept the premise that if there is a creator, it must be that he wants something from me, then you're never going to open up a Messiah Sasharim because you reject the entire premise of the book, right? If you're walking through the, uh, the library or you're walking through a bookstore and you see a, a, a title, the significance of the earth being flat. So you look at that and you say, well, this is silly because the earth isn't flat. The earth is, uh, is round. And therefore, I reject the premise of the title. And I just move on to the next book because why would I look at a book which doesn't make any sense from the, uh, from the very title? The title already gives away um, the fact that it's based on a false, uh, a false premise. So being that, the title already gives away, that, uh, that uh, the, uh, gives you a reason to reject it. You would never open it up. So the Messiah Susham, the Amchal, wrote this Sefer for those people who are straight thinkers and acknowledge the existence of a creator, that the creator created the universe for a purpose. And if I exist in this universe, I must have a purpose as well. And now those people who are trying to seek what is that purpose that I have, they're the ones who are going to open up the book. And the Evakshu lelamdam my chavas and these are the people who now turn to the Ramchal and say, teach me, teach me, what exactly, how am I going to figure out what my obligation is in this world? I accept, I accept the premise that I have an obligation, that there's an expectation of me in this world. Now I need to know from Chazal's perspective, as they interpret the Torah, how are they going to um, reveal to me, or how am I going to be able to uncover what is my obligation? And he says to that, he says, Ramchal Yanalem, and the Ramchal answers them, Vihine Masha Harunu Chazal. 
And he says, this is a very famous uh, premise of the uh, of the Ramchal. He says, and if you've ever read anything from Arya Kaplan, so you'll know that he uh, talks, so this is the like the premise of every one of his uh, his books. He says, Chazal teach us, he says, the Ramchal says that Chazal teach us, our sages teach us, that the world was created for pleasure. That's it. The Isanig. Isanig is pleasure, but it's not physical pleasure that he created. He created us so that we'd be able to derive a, a, a greater pleasure than physical pleasure, and that is pleasure from being connected to God in being able to enjoy the shine and the presence in the energy of the divine presence, of the Shekhinah itself. So everything about the Torah, everything is, is in order to lead us to that, that, that lofty goal of being able to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and being able to enjoy His presence in the connection to Him. And everything else is background noise and it's distractions and it's there to go ahead and draw us away from that. But that is what we have to go ahead and we have to figure out. And ukedei lahasig malos elu. Now, if we're going to go ahead and achieve that goal, if we're going to fulfill the ultimate purpose of the universe, why God created the universe, and not only why God created the universe in its entirety, but why he included me as an individual, as part of his universe, then, in order to answer that question, so then, alav li shtadel kol yamav. So a person has to work his entire life, Bilimura Torah, studying Torah, Ubikiyama mitzvahs and fulfilling mitzvahs, and those are going to be the pathways by which a person is going to be able to pinpoint what exactly is your obligation. Because at the end of the day, the fulfill the Torah which we study and the mitzvahs which we do, because this is. The who we actually are, this is what is going to be our everlasting, our eternal legacy for the world, is ultimately for ourselves, for that matter, is really going to be the Torah which we study and the mitzvahs which we do. And other things are there, are all driven by Yitzhahara and whatnot to try and distract us from being able to, to achieve that. But ultimately, they are not the, uh, the, uh, the purpose. The ultimate purpose is eventually to get to that point where we are able to connect directly with HaKadosh Baruch. Okay, so that is the introduction of this Sefer to this first chapter of Messiah Susharim. And now we can begin, now we're switching from the, uh, that introduction to now a text where we just have the text of the Messiah Susharim itself uh, without otherwise, you know, this uh, first chapter, depending on which, uh, how much commentary you have on there, so that itself could go ahead and that could be 20, 30, 40 pages, and that would be overwhelming for us, so we're not going to do that. So we'll have uh, on the screen in front of us, what we read together is just the Ramchal, and then I will try and add in various uh, uh, explanations which different commentators give in order to make sure that we, uh, that we understand what is happening. Okay, so the chapter, the name of the chapter, as we saw, is Bebeir Klal Chovas Adam Bolam. So this is the explanation of a person's obligation in his world. And the fact that, right, and we, we, we've talked about this, I think, in Drushas, but now that we're here, so it's worthwhile to, uh, to emphasize. So the Ramchal could have written, could have said, a person's obligation in the world. And we would have thought that that makes perfect sense because there exists a universe, there exists a world which is out there. I am a 
a, a, a person who exists in the universe as a whole, but it's not my world, it's God's world. So it's my obligation in the world. But the Ramchal added that suffix, that last vav is significant because he says that it's your obligation, a person's obligation in his world. In the his is something which is significant because in many ways, each of us exists in our own world. We are the product of all of our nature and nurture, all of our experiences, all of the events which have happened in our lives, and that shapes how we see things and how we perceive things and how we think about things. And all of those things gives me a world which I see, which you see differently. You and I can look at the exact same tree. You can, I can, can I, and I can look at the exact same cloud, Warshak test. We can look at the exact same cloud and I'll see one thing and you'll see something else. And I'm certain that what I'm seeing is accurate and what you're seeing is absolutely accurate. And we're looking at the same thing. So each person lives in their own world. And what we're trying to make sure to do is that you want to figure out, every person needs to figure out what his obligation is in his world. You never want to live in somebody else's world because they have different circumstances and different rules and different expectations and all of that stuff in their world and you don't live in their world. You need to figure out, every person needs to figure out what your obligation is in your world, meaning that composite of all of the nature and nurture which has led me to where I am today. So given all of that background to where I am today, which is my world, what's the expectation of me within that world? So that's the chapter, that's the name that the Ramchal gives to this chapter. So it's not a particular trait which one is trying to develop. That would be the subsequent chapters. He talks about, he defines traits and talks about how to acquire those traits. That's going to be the rest of the the Sefer. But the first chapter, before we get to any particular trait, we begin with this idea that the first thing everybody has to recognize is, is that you live a unique experience in this universe, which has never been experienced by anybody before you, will never be experienced by anybody after you, because your set of circumstances, the circumstances of your life, in the qualities of who you are, and the different aspects of your personality, in the different facets of who you are, they are unique, never replicated, and will never exist again. And therefore, you, as an individual, have your own chova, your own obligation in your world. That is how he opens up the, uh, that's how he names the chapter. Now he says, now you'll remember that uh, many svarim, the author will begin either the hakdama, will begin either the introduction or begin the first part of the chapter, will begin with a Rashi Tevos of Hashem's name. The Ramchal is no different. So the first four words, you see, Yesod HaChasidus V'Shorosh avoda spells yud Hey vav Hey yud Kei vav Kei. So, so the Ramchal incorporates God's name into the very beginning of the book, but he says the foundation of Hasidus and the root of service, of pure service, of pure unadulterated service, and this already is a significant, uh, a very significant phrase, because here uh, the Ramchal establishes for us, provides us with this very in- interesting perspective. And he says, what we're going to try and establish over here, before before we get to any explanation, what you need to know that we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to present, and we're trying to uh, uh, accomplish, is a yesod as well as a shorish. So yesod is translated as a foundation. A shorish is a root. So what's the difference between a yesod and a a shorish? So, and this is something which... uh, um, uh, 
Uh, Revolga talks about in terms of Chinuch. He named his, uh, his Chinuch Sefer after this. But Yesod, a foundation, is generally how one is going to begin to build a, uh, the structure of a building. So if you're going to build a house, or you're going to build an office building, or something like that, so you begin with a Yesod. The first thing that you're going to do is you put down a foundation. Once the foundation is in, in place, then the entire house is built around that. But the first thing you need to do is a foundation. And it's well known that laying the foundation is one of the most important parts of building a house. It's not one of the more dramatic parts of it. It's not one of the more glamorous parts of building a house. It may not be as fun as running pipes or running wires or doing, uh, you know, uh, the heating and the air conditioning and whatnot. All of that may be a lot more fun, and it's a lot more, uh, you know, there's uh, cooler tools when you go ahead and you go ahead and you put the plumbing and the electrical work in the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, um, the, uh, the heating and the air conditioning. But the most important part is really the foundation, because if the foundation is not level, if you build the foundation wrong, so then you don't build the foundation thick enough for the size of the building which you plan to build, so that the whole the whole structure could collapse on itself. We have uh, those who know uh, around the corner from us when we walk to shul. So there's a house on the corner. If you want to see it, it's on East Prairie and Grove. So the house on East Prairie and Grove. So it used to have uh, bushes in front of the front door, and uh, they they recently did a lot of construction. Somebody bought the house in order to flip it. So they did a bunch of construction inside. And in addition to doing all this construction, I guess, updating it inside, it probably hadn't been updated since it was built either in the late 50s or the early 60s. So, but in addition to doing all of the work inside of the house, so they took down almost all of the bushes outside. And when they took down all of the bushes outside, so you see that the front step, which is very wide, the front step is collapsing on itself. So now... If I was a person, I would have left the bushes there so that the buyer wouldn't see. It wouldn't be evident from the street that the front step is collapsing on itself, but it's literally sinking in the middle. There's a crack right down the middle, and it's sinking in and out of itself. And that happens probably because they didn't build the foundation strong enough beneath those stairs. And as the earth beneath it, uh, you know, loosened or whatever it is, so then that comes collapsing down. And that happens in houses. Houses develop cracks, and that's where a lot of flooding happens, at least here in in Chicago, because... Houses settle, and then they, there's cracks and all sorts of things. So if one is going to have a foundation of piety, so the foundation of piety has to be strong, and the greater the person is, the bigger the person is going to be, the bigger the foundation is. And you see this, if you've ever watched you know, the uh, videos about uh, uh, constructing an office building or something like that. So the taller the building is going to be, the further deep in the ground the foundation has to go. And oftentimes the wider the foundation has to go in order to be wide enough and strong enough and deep enough to be able to handle all of that weight and all of that height which is on top of it. So the first thing that the the Ramchal shares with us is, is there such a thing as a foundation of piety? And that needs to be built strong. It needs to be built straight. It needs to be extremely, extremely precise. Because being off by an inch or two is enough to allow the whole building to collapse. So that is number number one. And then he says, Shorish Avoda. The next illustrative word which he uses, the next metaphor which he uses, is the root of service. Now, root is not something which is a construction term. Root has to do with organic growth. 
So it has to do, we think about it in terms of roots of a tree. So the roots of a tree, so it's they serve two very important functions for the tree. Function number one is, and I've been thinking about uh, a lot about this uh, this lately, and I just haven't uh, you know followed all the way through as of yet. Another one of these curiosities which has captured my attention. But um, roots go ahead and they draw water and nutrients from the ground. So roots don't have muscles, but somehow they're able to you know suck in nutrients and water inside of them. And not only are they able to do so, but if roots detect, and this is part of the, the brilliance of the way they grow things in Eretz Yisrael with their drip technology, which they don't water it like we do with the sprinkler running all the time, but they drip at very specific intervals. The reason why they do so is because by giving small amounts of water at different intervals, it forces the roots to find the water and actually strengthens the plant much more. So we saturate, it makes it easy for them. We like over, uh, we waterlog our plants and therefore they become lazy and they don't have strong roots. In Eretz Yisrael, they grow very strong roots. And as a result of that, they're able to use minimum amounts of water and yet have a very strong and hardy plant. So shorish, one purpose of a shorish, one person purpose of a root is to be able to draw nutrients from the outside so part of our avodas Hashem is to be able to gather from things outside of ourselves and to incorporate them into our own growth. So that's one element of a shoresh. And the second important element of a shoresh is the fact that the roots are also strength, give the, the, the plant or the tree its durability. So if you live, somebody lives, like uh, some people used to, in Florida where they have hurricanes, or you could be in Chicago where there's potentially tornadoes, or you could live where I live, right across the street from the park. So sukkah's time, you have those 40, 50 mile an hour winds, uh, you know, challenging our sukkahs to, uh, to, stay, to stay up. So it's not only challenging, whenever there's going to be strong winds, they always warn about the possibility that branches may fall up, may, may, uh, may, may be uh, uh, severed from trees, and some trees actually collapse. So the reason why trees collapse would be because the roots aren't strong enough to hold it in place. So in order for a tree to be able to withstand a storm, so it has to have very deep and has to have very strong roots. So our Avodah Hashem as well, over the course of our Avodah Hashem, we often face many challenges, many difficulties that we have, remaining loyal and doing the right thing. And the stronger and deeper those Shirashim, those roots are, so the more re- resilience we're going to have, the, the stronger our vote is going to be, and it's going to be able to develop and flourish and have that organic type of growth, which is uh, typical of the metaphor of a root in a plant or a tree, and that also is going to be something which is an essential part of our, uh, our, our, our avoda. So here, what the Ramchal is telling us is the fact that when we are establishing the foundation of Ravodas Hashem, we have to make sure that we lay a foundation, means it has to be straight, it has to be solid, it has to be strong, and we also need to have a shorish, we need to have roots, which are then going to allow us to be able to gather nutrients, gather inspiration, and gather spirituality from those who are around us. And also it's going to give us, it's going to anchor us into the ground in a way where we could weather all sorts of storms and challenges to our Vodas Hashem, and it will just sort of pass over us and we'll remain locked in place in terms of our loyalty to our Baruch Hu and to the, the Torah Mitzvahs. 
So this is the opening words of this uh, this chapter, the Yesoda Hasidus Shorish Havoda Tumima of pure avoda, of uh, unadulterated avoda, is going to involve making sure that these two components are present. And then we'll see what exactly that involves. Mirzashem next week. But right now we're going to have to pause for uh, give us time to get to Minchamarv. All right, everybody. So uh, have.